Well, good morning. Thanks for listening in at Prairie View Christian Church this morning on Sunday, May 24th. Uh, As we have repeated over and over and over again in many of our announcements and videos and resources, we are cautiously optimistic that this Sunday, the 24th, will be our final Sunday doing everything online. Uh, We will have some things online because we recognize that many people will still not feel comfortable gathering with us on the 31st quite yet. We'll be doing live stream services. Uh, However, it will be different. So we're looking forward to the 31st. Uh, We are planning and thinking and talking and praying about how to make that happen in a way that is safe for everyone here, in a way that glorifies God, and of course, in a way that doesn't totally neglect those who will not be here quite yet. So we look forward to the 31st and we ask for your prayers. Well, I usually organize the preaching calendar so that we don't start or end a new sermon series on a holiday. And that means that Sundays like this one are good opportunities for whoever is preaching to cover biblical texts or practical and theological topics that might usually be neglected. And one book from the New Testament that often suffers that fate is the Apostle Paul's letter to Philemon. It's small. It's easy to skip over. And if we're being honest, you may have even forgotten it was even there. I mean, we're not even completely sure how to pronounce it. Some people say Philemon. Some people say Philemon. If you really wanted to get technical, you might say something like Philemon. But we're not even totally sure. But this morning, we are finally going to give Philemon its due. We're going to read the entire letter. It's only 334 words. It's not even big enough to be broken up into chapters. We're going to learn how God's grace brought about unity and reconciliation between two very different men. Paul will be our narrator of sorts and the mediator between our two main characters. But we'll see what their situation has to teach Christians today, both theologically and practically. So open your Bibles to the book of Philemon. If you have a tough time finding it, it's right after 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, but before the book of Hebrews. So that maybe will help you find your way towards Philemon. But before we do any reading, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have to hear from your word. Uh, Even parts of your word that we aren't as familiar with. Parts of your word that might not make it on coffee cups and t-shirts and viral Facebook posts and Instagram. Uh, All of your word is inspired and authoritative, and it is fruitful for us to read it, and that is the case with Philemon today. Father, thank you for this weekend that we have for multiple reasons. Uh, It's exciting to think that this could hopefully be our final weekend of doing everything online, Uh, so I ask that you would bless our preparations in the next week. Uh, Lord, thank you for Memorial Day weekend. Uh, This is not just a three-day weekend, not just an excuse to take an extra day off or uh, sit outside and grill, but it's a day to remember uh, those who sacrificed their lives so that people in our country could gather together on Sunday mornings and worship you freely. And so we are grateful uh, for those men and women who have made that sacrifice, and we remember them this weekend. 
And Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we read from Philemon, uh, that you would teach us what it is that we need to learn at this moment, uh, that we would look to your word and that we would trust in your spirit to challenge and convict and comfort and guide us as we read this word this morning, but also as we take it out into our lives uh, with whatever the next week might hold, whatever might be back to normal, whatever might not be back to normal. I pray that we would take the lessons that we learned from Philemon today and apply them in a way that honors you. And as we'll see in a few minutes, Lord, thank you that you have reconciled us not just to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but most significantly, the heart of the gospel is the truth that you have reconciled us to you by the broken body and shed blood of Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you, we glorify you, we praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we will start reading Philemon verses 1 through 7. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We've already mentioned that Paul is the author of this letter. And right now, Paul says he is a prisoner for Jesus Christ as he writes. But we remember that at one time he was an up-and-coming Pharisee and a relentless persecutor of Christians. But then he was saved by God's grace commissioned by Jesus himself to a life of service to the gospel. From then on, Paul spent the rest of his days going on missionary journeys and planting churches and preaching sermons about Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection to anyone who would listen. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, old, and young. But Paul often found himself in trouble. By the time he writes this letter, he's probably approaching the end of his life, possibly imprisoned in Rome. Paul refers to himself as an old man in verse 9. And we read at the end of the book of Acts that he was under house arrest in Rome at one point. And that could be when this letter was written. But next, we're introduced to the first of our two main characters, and that is Philemon, who the book is named for. Paul refers to him as a beloved fellow worker and brother. Philemon owns a home where a church meets and apparently has had a wonderful ministry. He's been good to Paul, good to other believers, and has developed a reputation for godliness and generosity. Philemon probably lived in Colossae, but may have met Paul and may have first heard the gospel preached, in the city of Ephesus. Philemon, by now, may have ascended to a position of leadership over multiple churches in his region. 
He's an influential Christian. The woman named Aphia in verse 2 is likely Philemon's wife. And the man, Archippus, is probably Philemon's son. Now this is a unique letter in the New Testament. It's one of the very few personal letters in the entire Bible. Personal meaning one person writing to one other person. But why exactly is Paul writing Is this just a postcard between two friends exchanging pleasantries? Is it a quick thank you note? Or is it something more? Well, as we move forward, we start to see that Paul has a specific request of Philemon. And that's where our third man comes in. We know about Paul. We've been introduced to Philemon. But who is our final character? For that, we pick up in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So our third man in the story is Onesimus, whose name literally means profitable. Verse 11 is a play on words where Paul says he is now useful or profitable. Onesimus is one of Philemon's slaves, a bondservant. But Paul refers to him as his child, his beloved brother. That's because the slave Onesimus, just like Philemon, his owner, has come to believe the gospel. After spending time with Paul. And that changes everything about the relational dynamics between these three men. One author put it this way. In the legal world, Philemon was the master, Onesimus the slave, and Paul his friend. But in the church world, Paul was father and apostle to both Philemon and Onesimus where master and slave had become equals, brothers. But what exactly is Paul's request concerning Onesimus? Well, first, Paul wants Philemon to forgive Onesimus of any wrong that he has done. While we don't know for sure, the traditional interpretation is that Onesimus may have been a runaway slave who left home without Philemon's permission. Or it could be the case that Philemon had sent Onesimus out on a journey, but then Onesimus made a break for it 
and didn't return when he was supposed to. It's also possible with either scenario that Onesimus may have defrauded Philemon in some way. He may have even stolen from him. But regardless of what the situation is, Paul makes it clear that Philemon is to forgive Onesimus. Next, Paul wants Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, not just as a slave, but as a brother. Onesimus is not just a piece of property. He is a fellow believer, saved from his sin by the same broken body and shed blood of Christ that saved Philemon. He's a fellow member of God's family now, no matter who he may have been or what he may have done in the past. And then finally, Paul wants Philemon to then send Onesimus back to him in hopes that Onesimus can become a useful servant for the cause of the gospel, which would be good for Paul, good for Philemon, good for every other believer in Christ, and glorifying to God. So that's the request. That's our situation. But the big question remains, what will Philemon do? From a worldly point of view, Philemon has all the leverage over Onesimus. Philemon would have been well within his rights in the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament to punish Onesimus severely. On top of that, also from a worldly point of view, Paul has no real authority over Philemon's dealings with his slaves. But here's the thing. As a believer in Jesus, Philemon can't, won't, shouldn't, doesn't think in worldly terms alone. From a kingdom point of view, Onesimus is no mere disobedient slave. He's a brother. And from a kingdom point of view, Paul is not just some outside consultant. He's not a friend giving unsolicited advice. He's a commissioned apostle of Jesus Christ. So what will Philemon do? Well, Paul seems to have a pretty good idea. However, being a good pastor, Paul gently, subtly, implicitly, but also clearly nudges Philemon in the right direction. We read in verses 17 through 22. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Back in verse 8, Paul already began to throw his weight around a little bit. That's when he said, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, instead I'm going to appeal to you. 
That's Paul's way of saying, you know, Philemon, buddy, pal, fellow worker, I could force you to do what I'm about to ask of you. I mean, I am an apostle and all. But you know, instead, I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm going to make my request, and then I'm going to let you do the good, right, godly thing on your own, rather than twisting your arm. As he said in verse 9, For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Not force you. Appeal to you. Now, Paul really is confident that Philemon will do what he asks. But just in case, he gives Philemon a small, quick, soft push in the direction of obedience and love in verses 8 and 9. And the same thing happens in verses 17 through 22. Paul makes it as easy as possible for Philemon to do what's right, even to the point of covering the debts that Onesimus owed. Paul even reminds Philemon, hey, if not for me, not only would Onesimus not be a believer in Christ, but neither would you. You owe me one. So give me this favor. And then finally, in verse 21, Paul once again shows genuine confidence in Philemon. As we read in verses 4 through 7, Philemon has proven himself to be a godly man in the past. And Paul fully expects that same godliness to show up in this situation as well. Now, the letter ends with standard greetings, like many of Paul's other letters. Verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now that's all well and good, but we still come back to the real question. What did Philemon do? Did he grant Paul's request? Forgive Onesimus. Welcome him back as a brother, not a slave, and then send him back to Paul for ministry. Or did Philemon do what he had every right to do on a purely worldly level, and that is punish Onesimus? Well, the New Testament does not explicitly tell us, but the circumstantial evidence we have indicates that Philemon did do the right thing. For example, he's mentioned briefly at the end of the book of Colossians. But then outside of Scripture, there is an interesting little nugget in the pages of church history that might give us a clue about Onesimus' fate. In about 110 A.D., so some 50 to 60 years after this letter was written, a man named Ignatius was Bishop of Antioch. And Ignatius was in jail on his way to execution in Rome. But while Ignatius was there, he got a visit from the bishop of Ephesus. Ignatius then wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, thanking them for letting the bishop come see him before he died. And in Ignatius's letter, the bishop of Ephesus was named Onesimus. 
Now, our Onesimus the slave from the book of Philemon and that later Onesimus from the hand of Ignatius, are they the same man? The truth is we don't know for sure. It's plausible, but it's not guaranteed. But what a story it would be to think that a former runaway slave became a believer in Christ, was forgiven and welcomed home as a brother by his Christian master, and then sent back to Paul for fruitful ministry to eventually become a bishop. Again, we don't know for sure that it's true, but I hope it is. But what do Christians today learn from this letter? It's more than just an interesting book. It's more than just a touching story. There are important lessons here, both theological and practical. So let's start with the theological lesson. Paul's letter to Philemon reminds us that sinners undergo a change of status in God's eyes when we believe in Christ. He puts it this way in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. From the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Christ, our status has changed by God's grace. In Romans 5, Paul describes fallen human beings left to our own devices as enemies of God and slaves of sin. But then Paul describes believers in Jesus, those saved by God's grace, as slaves of righteousness in Romans 6, and heirs and children in Romans 8. When a sinner comes to believe in Christ, our status before God is changed. And that is a glorious, glorious thing. Paul puts it so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. That's a reference to the fact the incarnate Christ is no longer physically present on earth. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. The message of reconciliation. Onesimus was a changed man that first time he saw Philemon again. It was not because he demanded his freedom, not because he picked up the latest self-help book, not because he found an advocate in Paul. Onesimus' status had changed by his faith in Jesus Christ. On the outside, he probably still looked like the same old slave he always was. But by God's grace, in the eternal scheme of things, he was a new creation. 
forgiven, justified, adopted, loved. We too undergo a status change in God's eyes when we believe in Jesus Christ. We too were once in that domain of darkness. We too were once useless and unprofitable, not to a master over slaves, but to the master of all creation. We were once sinful, condemned, dead. But by Christ's broken body and shed blood, we have been justified, forgiven, called to God's family, and enlisted in God's service. Because someone outside of us, Jesus Christ, paid our eternal debts through his broken body and shed blood on the cross. In order that we might return to God, not with our tails tucked between our legs, dreading punishment. But as beloved children, joyfully worshiping him and serving him. The book of Philemon reminds us that when sinners come to believe in Christ, we are new creations. We are not the people we once were. We have a change of status. But now we get to the practical lesson. Because not only does God view believers in Christ differently than he did before, but believers in Christ view each other differently than we did before. The book of Philemon teaches us about unity and reconciliation with our fellow believers. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes that God broke down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles through Jesus Christ. There were significant cultural, traditional, religious differences between those two people groups in the New Testament and the Old. But God had broken that wall down. All who believe in Christ are now fellow citizens, members of the household of God, regardless of their worldly status or their worldly differences. Later in Ephesians 4, Paul writes that they are all part of one body, of one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and all share one God and Father. Paul puts it perhaps most memorably, in Galatians 3:27 and 28 For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ There is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus Unity in the body of Christ has been a challenge in the past and it's no easier now There are differences of socioeconomics, politics, language, skin color, traditions, cultures, and personalities, often all in the same church. So it's not surprising that we don't always see eye to eye. But by the blood of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can look at people within the body of Christ who are very different than we are. And we can call them our brothers and sisters. In the eyes of the world, some of us might be superior or inferior to others. Some are high in the food chain. Some are low. Kind of like Philemon and Onesimus. But in the kingdom of God, we are all equals. 
We are all one. Michael Walter writes, Faith in Jesus Christ creates a new identity which supersedes every other given identity. We may have real differences, and those differences are not unimportant. We're not saying they just go away. But it's still true that our common identity in Christ outweighs every other identity marker that we have. Now, unity is hard enough to maintain when we're all different. So just imagine how difficult it is when we're all still sinners. And that's where reconciliation comes in. Remember, Philemon had a legitimate beef with Onesimus, especially if Onesimus really had stolen from him. But likewise, Onesimus could not be blamed for having a little bit of animosity towards the man who once owned him as a slave. But by their new shared faith, by their common identity in Christ, Paul appeals to these two very different men to be reconciled to one another as brothers. Believers like us are called to this same sense of unity and reconciliation with each other. We forgive each other. We welcome each other as we have been forgiven and welcomed in Christ. Faith in Jesus doesn't just change our status before God. It changes how we view and treat each other. Now, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? A story of faith, love, forgiveness, unity, reconciliation, with a good-natured and healthy dose of peer pressure from Paul. But the only story better than that of Philemon and Onesimus is the story of the gospel. It's the story of unity and reconciliation between two parties who were once estranged sinful people, and holy God, brought about by Jesus Christ. So may we share this beautiful story with our words, but also live it out for the world to see. May we remember that God has paid our debts, forgiven our sins, and welcomed us as his children into his presence. May we testify to this truth by forgiving each other our debts and sins and welcoming each other as brothers and sisters, no matter how different we may be. May we be united and reconciled to one another, as we have all been united and reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning, this time to read the book of Philemon and learn the lessons from it. Again, it's so often neglected and overlooked and underappreciated, but never a bad use of our time to read any part of your word, even the parts that aren't as well known. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the reconciliation that you have given us through Christ. In the story of Philemon and Onesimus, both men had kind of sort of wronged each other in different ways, but you have not wronged us at all. It's only we who have wronged you. You are perfect. You are righteous. You are holy. You are just. We are the ones who are sinful. We are the ones who have done wrong. We are the ones who deserve punishment. 
but you and your grace have reconciled us to yourself. You've brought us into your presence. You've changed our status in eternity from rebels and orphans to servants and sons and daughters. So, Lord, thank you for the reconciliation that we have with you by faith in Jesus Christ. But, Lord, I also pray that you would help us to live out that same kind of reconciliation with each other. That when we look at each other, we wouldn't just regard each other according to the flesh, but we would look at each other as brothers and sisters. When we look at each other, we would see a brother or a sister for whom Christ died. We would see a fellow bearer of the Holy Spirit. We would see a fellow worshiper of you in eternity. So, Lord, help us to view each other accordingly and to treat each other accordingly to love and forgive and welcome and serve in the way that you would have us do as a united and reconciled family of believers. Lord, again, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the message of Philemon. Thank you for the reconciliation you've given to us and the way you reconcile us to each other. We ask this all in Christ's name.